Today we're in 2 Timothy in a series that we call Focused. And really, I, I use that word because Paul, as he's speaking to this young preacher, he's saying to him, I'm about to go, it's time for you to focus, buddy, because uh, you're going to be leading here shortly, and um, you got to know the importance of what's happening and what's on the line. Just this week, I was at an event where a pastor spoke who was dying, he was terminal, and uh, someone had relayed that to me before he got up to speak, and the very fact that I probably would never see this guy again, uh, and, and, and the urgency with which he spoke made it really, really interesting to me. I hung on every word because the words of a man who won't be around for long are pretty serious words, and when he gets up to speak or when he starts to talk, uh, it's, it's worth listening to. And he was a godly man who's been a pastor in Woodburn for, um, for nearly 30 years, and, and just, um, just a good heart and it was a blessing to hear from him. That is kind of the mode that Paul writes with here in 2 Timothy. There are some scholars who think that he died as soon as just a few days after this letter was written, maybe a few weeks. So he knew he was about to be executed. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he pens these words that we look at today. Let's pray, and then I'll get into what he was talking about. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and move us towards truth that will set us free. Will you help us to accept truth? Will you help us to accept the urgency, Lord, of what life is really all about? Reaching, loving, building your kingdom, Lord. Fighting for that which is good. God, help us not to just live a mundane existence, but to be those who are your servants who are changing this world for you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I've called this sermon, Be Brave, Little Soldier. And uh, Paul talks about believers as soldiers in several places in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, put on the armor of God. Some people don't like that whole military feel uh, when you're talking about Christianity. Nevertheless, you can't escape it. It's in the Bible all through the New Testament. And so as we look at the word, we have to talk about it in the terms that he talked about it in. So I have for uh, all of us little soldiers here, three things to remember as we minister for Christ. And here's the first. Remember the source of your power. If you're not careful, you'll work within your own power because after all, you've been gifted by the common grace of God with some cool things. Whatever you do well, people will notice. You might have a lot of energy on your own and believers can move out and start to work just like others do in the business world in a realm of their own gifting. The common grace of God, the gifts God's given upon your life. Without moving, in the room that Timothy was about to hear of here. Here's what Paul said to him. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Be strong. In the Greek, this projects the meaning of continually strengthened. That's what uh, that term would mean there. And so there's something about grace. Isn't that interesting? Strong through the grace that God gives you. There's something about grace that is more than just forgiveness in there. Do you see it? That's not talking about forgiveness when it talks about grace. But that's the way the American church looks at grace. It's just forgiveness. No, grace has always been a lot more than just forgiveness. 
It's not that it's less than forgiveness, because that would be bad to say that. It's, it's that the grace of God is more than forgiveness. And here we see it. In Philippians 4, it says this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So when he, Paul says to Timothy, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus, he's talking about a strength that comes from the Lord to accomplish things. You can try, but in the end, you cannot succeed for God on your own strength. You'll get tired, you'll get weary, and you'll want to quit before it's over. If you're doing it on your own strength with just the gifts that you have. But when it comes to the grace of God and a dimension that's beyond forgiveness, it's this meaning of scriptures applied to grace that means divine enabling force. The grace of God not only forgives, but it's a divine enabling force. It strengthens you. It strengthens me as a believer. And it comes from Jesus Christ. Here we see, you've heard it before, where someone says, maybe a missionary on a foreign field battling in tough places to bring the gospel to that corner of the world, they'll say, by the grace of God, we overcame. Well, they're, they're, they're using that word in the, in the same uh, frame of reference that it's used here in the scriptures. Strength that comes from the Lord. Grace is, has that dimension to it as well. And here it is in 2 Corinthians 12, using that sense. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I don't know about you, but that really blesses me. Because I realize, why did I say be brave little soldier? That might have offended some of you. Uh, to think of yourselves as a little soldier. No, I'm a powerful man, a woman of God. You know, that positive confession thing. Well, what I mean by little soldier is if you work on your own power, you can't get it done. You and I are just little bitty, little bitty things that can't accomplish anything on our own unless, unless we move in this realm where we understand that the grace of God can flow through us to accomplish absolutely anything. For my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. And here it is, that enabling force, so that Christ's power may rest on me. He mentioned grace above in verse nine. And then at the end, he says, it's Christ's power that rests on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This grace, this brings strength that comes from Jesus Christ, that is the source. Have you heard of a name, William Wilberforce? It's kind of cool sounding to roll off the tongue, Wilberforce. When I was in Washington, D.C., I stayed at a, a, a house called the Cedars where they had a room called the Wilberforce Room. And they had all kinds of books about his life and so I kind of picked him up and took a look to see what he was all about. Well, he worked for nearly 50 years in Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. He was an incredible Christian man, totally sold out to God, and came against slavery many, many years ago. But there were people who owned slaves and people who made money with their slaves and they just thought they were helping slaves and they fought him tooth and nail. And after several years, he was discouraged and ready to give up, but he had an elderly friend named John Wesley. I know you've heard that name that great preacher from many years ago. And he heard about Wilberforce's discouragement and he called for pen and paper while he lay on his deathbed. 
Wesley did. And with trembling hand, John Wesley wrote this to, Wilbur, to William Wilberforce. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even every American slave, or rather, till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. That encouraged William Wilberforce to hear that from his friend John Wesley. Wilberforce fought on for 45 more years and in 1833, after nearly 50 years in the parliament, three days before his own death, Wilberforce saw slavery abolished in Britain and it had a profound effect on America as well. Are all of them stronger than God, Wesley said to Wilberforce? And so when God gives us a task, an assignment, if that's our focus, going in the Lord's strength, his grace that enables us, his grace that gives us power, that's why you'd step into a task that's way too hard for you to do yourself. Because you know that there's a source that's greater and you're not standing on your own strength and power. I remember, and I don't want to scare people here, but um, there, there really are uh, demons in this world. Jesus cast out demons, I believe, six times in the New Testament. And it's still necessary these days. It happens. And uh, I remember in a camp scenario when I was standing before a kid who needed to have a demon cast out of him. I mean, he, he was, as they say, manifesting. And we pulled him aside and, and this demon started to speak through this kid. And I've seen this a few times. It doesn't happen a lot for me, but I've seen it. And, the, and you know what the enemy does? He tries to intimidate. He always does that. That's why, for those of you that are Christian leaders, if this happens in any set, setting, do your best to isolate the scenario and get a few strong people, strong in the Lord, in that room to pray. The reason you want to isolate is because the, the enemy will try to bring fear throughout the whole house, wherever you're at. So we isolated this kid and we pray. And this demon was speaking to me saying, I will kill you. And this voice that's just hideous, like the movies. And... Um, and here's what I said, you can't touch me because I don't stand here in my own strength and power. I stand here in the name of Jesus Christ who defeated you on the cross. And it took a couple hours, but before it was over, the demon came out of that kid. And the kid, I, I can tell you who he is because he went on to be a minister, but I don't want to say that uh, because, because the Lord is using him greatly and people would think weird things about him potentially. However, when you get in scenarios like that, not only like that, but, but just a difficult task in life, you don't want to stand in your own strength and power because you are a little soldier. And you know that you need your father standing behind you with all of his strength and all of his power. Galatians 6, 9, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give I like what J. Hudson Taylor, a missionary, said. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through me. And that's why we need the grace of God. That's where that happens. 
like Wilberforce, God enables and does his work through us and we get to be a part of it as he gets it done. So, remember the source of your power as you move forward. Secondly, remember the priorities. If you're a soldier, you have an assignment. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. Now that's for all of us. It's written to Timothy as a believer, but it's true for us today. We are all soldiers in the Lord's army, and part of being a soldier is enduring some suffering for him. That is not popular uh, theology in America these days. People don't like to talk about suffering for Jesus Christ as believers. Verse 4, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. So let's look at this. Let's break it down a little bit. Verse three, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul was saying. Timothy, you're going to have to suffer. Your suffering will include persecution, misunderstanding, and major opposition. He was getting Timothy ready for the battle that was in front of him. I I just wanna say that we really have no basis when you read the scriptures, no basis in fact or experience for presenting the gospel as a way of making life sweet, easy, Uh, filled with only uninterrupted happiness. There are some people who present Christianity that way. These scriptures tell us another story. There's another dimension. I really do believe that the best life you can possibly live on earth is in Jesus Christ as a believer. When old things pass away and all become new, Jesus said, I came to give you the abundant life. So I I believe it's the best life, but the best life doesn't mean there there aren't battles as you look at sports, and we'll talk about some sports today because Paul does in this, in this passage. Uh, there, there is a lot of pain and agony and conditioning and discipline that takes place. And there, there are times, I'll tell you, that it's not fun to be an athlete. It's not fun to lose along the way, to miss a shot at the end, to have people boo you, to, to be working all by yourself out there when nobody sees. There's a lot of discipline and agony you can go through to accomplish a goal. But to, to many of those athletes, it's worth it to get it done. And the way it is with the Christian life is, it's true that there's discipline and suffering, but it's also true that there's nothing more fulfilling than bearing fruit and having a harvest, which you do not get if you don't work as a soldier. Well, this is kind of an intense one today, isn't it? Intense sermon. I like what someone said. They said this, life really consists of solving problems of varying degrees of difficulty. That's probably a better better way for us to approach it as believers because a lot of people depart the faith because they thought Christians aren't supposed to have any problem. But life really consists of solving problems of varying degrees of difficulty. And sometimes the problems are created because we're trying to do something for God and the enemy or the world comes against us. And Paul is getting this young man ready to to say you will have some difficulty. Following Christ can create problems for us. I wrote this down. Inherent in the thought of battle is the reality that you must fight to win. When you fight battles, it's more likely than not that you'll have to suffer, get hurt, or possibly even die, which Paul did. Most of us, maybe all of us, won't have to die for Jesus Our focus should be living for Jesus. 
but sometimes it's hard. I was talking to a football coach the other day, and he was telling me the best way not to get hurt in football is to go ahead full speed when someone's going to hit you. If you have fear in your heart and you get on your heels, that's when you get hurt. You'll just get pancaked and driven into the ground. But if you're going to the best of your ability, full speed ahead, you're less likely to get injured. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? I remember uh, when I coached um, basketball, just little girls and little boys is all I ever coached. Uh, But it was fun. And I remember having a group of little girls and there was one team, we were one of the best teams in the league this year. But there was one team that, that we, were, we were actually better than, but they were big, strong girls, and they would just bang us and hurt us, and our girls would get intimidated. And they, they had been the only team the first half through the season that beat us, and they'd been beaten by other teams because we were more of a finesse team, just smaller and quick and shooters, that sort of thing. And I remember that when the second game we played, the second half of the league, we met them again. Sure enough, one of their big girls hit one of our girls and knocked her flat, and another one got bumped around, and... And before you know it, they're up 10 points. So I called timeout and I called the girls in. And I said, girls, we have to toughen up. I'm in this huddle with these, you know, these girls about eight or nine years old. And one of the little girls said, but that girl hit me. And I looked at her and Pastor Stan said, well, hit her back. (laughs) See, you know, we've been teaching them in kindergarten, don't hit. I said, listen. Within the rules, you can play hard and bang. And here's the deal. They're not calling fouls. You have to elevate the physicality of your game to play harder or we're going to get run over. And, and that's, that's something that parallels in Christianity too. Listen, the enemy, now listen to me. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family. What are you doing about it? What are you doing? Are you on your heels or are you moving forward? When he gives you an assignment, did you really think that the enemy wouldn't hit you smack dab in the mouth? Did you really think that you're just going to get a scot-free approach in this life to whatever you want and skate through? It's not the way it works. There will be a battle. Now the good news is we have the grace of God to enable us to be victorious. The good news is if we stand in him and if we follow him, we win and we will reap a harvest. But you have to be ready to get hit. You have to, as Paul says in another passage, fight the good fight. This is kind of intense today, isn't it? John 16, shows us that sometimes life is not easy as a believer. These are the words of Christ. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Just notice it says on earth. In heaven, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. A lot of what people say about what believers should have today, peace and no trouble, really, that's, that's in heaven. And it's really just a cool thing to work towards that. But here, you'll have some trials and sorrows, some battles. But Jesus said, take heart, because I've overcome the world. As I think of the world now, uh, honestly, as, 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 as I ponder the future of, of Christianity in America, I wonder if we're going to go the way of Europe with the diminishing influence of the church. But I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. All I know is I, I want to do my best. I want us to do our best to lift up Jesus and the word of God. Because I've been in Europe and there are wonderful cathedrals that people tour, but nobody meets there to worship Christ anymore. They're they're, they're just great temples that were erected 
where people fell away from God and the same outreach that we do in Europe with, with uh, what we called AIM, Ambassadors and Missions, when I was a district youth director, uh, we, we took uh, to Spain, to Barcelona, Spain, 150 kids. And for three, nearly three weeks, we did the same thing we did in Mexico where we saw over 300 people come to Christ. And for three weeks of outreach in, in Europe, we saw 17 people come to Jesus. They just have glazed eyes. They don't listen. They don't believe it. They think they're all religious in some way and they make it all up in their heads and it's all irrelevant. Now, I believe Europe's turning, but that's, that's where it's been in the last hundred years. It's, it's gone to there. And I wonder about America. It will be the route that America goes if we stop lifting up Jesus as Lord. If we get on our heels and say, we don't want to offend anybody with the name of Jesus Christ. If we say, well... We won't say that it's the complete word of God. Everybody gets to choose for themselves. Did you know I, I looked up evangelical in Noah Webster's dictionary from the, from the late 1800s. And in those days, here's what evangelical meant. Someone who believes in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and someone who believes that God's word is, is, is holy and is the standard. That's what evangelical means. That's what it's supposed to mean. Now, the media, can you see why they don't like evangelicals? If, if we say Jesus is the only way and the Bible's the, the, the standard, the word of God that all should follow, it makes sense why the media would put down evangelicals, doesn't it? Because really, it's, it's, th those are two things that if we drop them, we'll have no influence and we'll go the way of, of Europe. If we hold on to them, we will suffer persecution and the church will grow. I wonder if we're gonna suffer much persecution in America because I don't know if people are willing to stand up for the truth. People will come against you if you believe in Jesus Christ. The world will mock you at times, try to discredit you and cause you much trouble. The believer has these deep convictions that God the Father is the creator, that Jesus alone is the savior and this, this bothers unbelievers. Add to that the belief that all people will be judged by Jesus Christ. And if you accept Christ, you get heaven. And if you don't, you get hell. And you'll often get resistance. That's not what you want to hear if you're into doing your own thing. When unbelievers move to discredit you, it's because they want to be the Lord of their own lives. Their mantra is, I get to make up my own truth. The truth that I choose to believe. And it leaves me firmly in charge of my life, not God. And that's why Nero Caesar was discrediting and starting to martyr Christians in this book, this passage. He martyred Paul just days after this. Because he wanted to be in charge. He, if, if, if Paul was right, if Timothy were right, they were right, then he would have to bow his knee to God and he would not do it. He was in charge. If God was in charge, Nero would have to yield and he would not. And neither will many unbelievers in this world. And neither should we yield by altering the truth that Jesus is the way and the word of God is truth. And Timothy is being encouraged by Paul in Paul's last days to keep Jesus and God's word at the forefront even though it's going to cost you. 
Now, why would it be important to say these things? Because it seems hard to hear. Because if you and I don't hold on to these things, we lose impact. It's true we'll suffer persecution, but it's also true that the love of God, though many will reject it, many will accept it. And if we come with the truth in love, in love, that's so important that it's in love, then we'll have impact. And so we have to be focused on these things. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, if you and I want to live a godly life, we're going to suffer persecution. Now, the good question for us is, am I suffering persecution and why, why not? Maybe there's never any reason to come against someone who doesn't speak about the word and, and the truth of Jesus Christ. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Lord, is there a place that you would have me to share where I'm not sharing? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Anyone, anyone, everyone, all of us, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Now the cross is what? It's a sign of pain. It typifies suffering. It also means for us, because it's, it's an empty cross, resurrection power. Well, verse four says this. Don't get tied up in civilian affairs. Maybe a better way to say it is don't get distracted. If you heard me tell the story just last year, I was, I was golfing, and um, I was in a tournament. It was a, actually a missions fundraiser. And um, the team that I was with, we weren't very good, uh, so we weren't worrying about our score too much. At least that's the way we felt. And um, at one hole, we came to the 16th hole, and it was the closest to the pinhole. And I hit it four foot feet from the hole, and... and um, that was the closest to the pin so far from like 165 yards. Which, by the way, is not my normal game. Just, just so you know, it's just, uh, just lucky. And, um, and then Steve Jameson right behind me hits it three feet from the pin. So we moved it in, tapped in for birdie, and we laughed and we moved on. And uh, we wrote our scores down at the end. And I, I forgot to keep score. I was keeping score. I forgot for a couple holes to write the score down. And then um, as we came into the 18th, I said, oh, shoot, what was that at 16? And I thought, oh, yeah, that was a par. And I got it wrong. I wrote down a par when it was a birdie. We turned our score in, and with four of us golfing and taking the best, we, we only hit a 70, which I think was two under, and there were people 12 under. And so we never thought anything about it. And then I left from the event early. Um, they had one night that I couldn't be there, and I was gone. But they sat at the table, and they start to give out awards for, this, for the tournament uh, that night. And... Um, it was interesting that, that they were doing a skins game thing, and I, we didn't even know that when we started. So, you know, we knew we couldn't win, right? Well, the problem was every hole all the way was tied until the 16th hole. And, and then nobody had birdied 16, at least on the cards, so the skins moved to the 17th, which means the way this all works hopefully this isn't too confusing, is if everything is tied to the 16th hole and you win the 16th hole, you get all the points from the 16 holes previous. 
well, we actually birdied the hole and I wrote it down wrong. So we would have won the whole tournament with this, this skins game thing. And the prize was four sets of tailor-made irons for all the guys that were golfing. So the three guys that were with me were sitting at our table when I wasn't there saying, but we birdied that. Didn't we birdie that? We did birdie that. But how do we, and by that time it moved on and you can't stand up and say, hey, hey, you know, go back, go back. This idiot wrote it down wrong. We got it right. We win, we win. Because I got distracted and didn't pay attention and wrote it down wrong, not only did I lose out, but all my buddies lost out too. They don't even hardly want to see me anymore. <laughs> and I felt really bad. Did you know if you get distracted, there's something for you to lose when it comes to this life in Christ? And essentially here, when it says a soldier doesn't get tied up in civilian affairs, what God is saying to you and to me is don't get distracted. What God is saying to Timothy is don't lose your focus. Eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. What can distract us in life? What are the things that can easily distract us from, because the focus is Jesus and the word of God. Timothy, lift up Jesus. Timothy, teach the word of God. That was the focus in this passage. It's really easy for us to just see this as a place where we come in to receive comfort and be blessed. But I like to see it for that as well as being strengthened for ministry as we go from this place. Being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. Being enabled to go out and affect the world, our neighbors, the people around us. But, but there are things that distract us from those priorities. What, what, would, it, what would they be? Well, here's a really big one, money. Money really distracts people. You can get caught up in the pursuit of it. The interesting thing is you can get caught up into materialism if you have a lot of money or if you have no money at all. Because it's this hunger for it. Kenny sang about hunger for God, but there are some people who have a hunger for money and it drives them in life. That's all life's really all about. Matter of fact, we can see them get so hungry and then the enemy tempt them and pull them into this world. They think that they're doing something for their families and yet they never see their families and before it's over, their families all break up because they weren't even around to affect, to influence. Cars, homes, retirement, th these things can all be a distraction. I'm not saying money's bad. It's not wrong for you to have money, but it is wrong for money to have you. I'm not even saying it's wrong to be rich. I think godly people, I want them to be rich because I think the money will go to the right places. It'll be kingdom bound. But if that's what your life is about is money and that's the main focus, that is a serious problem. Cars, homes, a certain feeling. As you pursue these things, you, you may reach the pinnacle. Few do. You may reach your goals. But when you get there, you're gonna say like so many before, is that all there is? Is this it? Over and over again, the theme in the New Testament is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Build the kingdom of God, work in the kingdom of God. Be a servant for the Lord in his kingdom as we move forward. Popularity can be distracting. We wanna be liked, we wanna be thought well of, so we're not gonna talk about Jesus in the Bible. That can be a distraction. If Timothy had moved there, he would not have had impact. 
Thank God that he didn't. Games can be distracting. Sports can distract. Recreation, boating, whatever it may be, people fishing, people can get, get so into this, these things that they leave the things of God behind. Maybe they come to church, but they're not building the kingdom of God. It's all about this rest or recreation or this good feeling or, or even video games. Video games can be distracting. They're overtaking young men's lives these days. Don't be distracted. What are you supposed to be focused on? Jesus, his word. Hebrews 12.1, therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So don't get distracted. Remember the priorities. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I believe God wants us to remember those same things. And the third thought for you today, remember you must persevere. Suffering... um, and hardship is, is not this, it's, it's not quite the same as persevering. Persevering has, uh, suffering has, has the thought of, you, you know you're gonna, you, you know you're gonna get hard, hit hard. You know that you're gonna face trouble and so you steal yourself for those possibilities. Perseverance has to do with the thought to go the long haul and to be patient and to stick with it all the way. In verse five, says this, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Did you know, he's talking about athletes here, that Paul has more than two dozen references to sports or athletics in, the, in his writing in the New Testament. Interesting, huh? Boxing, wrestling, running, to name a few that he talks about in in the Bible. And here, the way he's talking about this, uh, winning the prize, they can't win unless they follow the rules, it's most likely that he's talking about the Olympic Games in his day. Because they had them. And his culture was really into sport as well. And to follow the rules, when he says that terminology, that would probably apply to the professional athletes. They had professional athletes that were involved in the Olympics. They made money. They became famous for doing those things in those days in the Olympics. Each athlete for these Olympics had to state an oath that he fulfilled, and part of his fulfillment was he had to go through the at least 10 months of necessary training before he'd be permitted to enter the contest. So he had to, to certify by an oath that he'd been involved in intense training for over 10 months, or he could not be part of the games. And any athlete who had not subjected himself to the necessary discipline would not only not have a chance of winning, but the reason they wanted to know this is because they knew if you didn't train, that you would lower the standard of the games. And so he says, hey, compete by the rules. Part of the rules were you're supposed to be ready when you get here. Don't lower the standard of these games. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. 
<clears throat> Some of you have heard me talk about a race that I was in <clears throat> years ago called the STP, Seattle to Portland. Anybody ever ridden in the Seattle to Portland here? Okay, a few of you. It's, it's uh, 200 miles. And <clears throat> half the, about a third of the people do it in a day and about um, <clears throat> two-thirds in two days, 200 miles on a bicycle. Someone asked me to go on the STP as part of their church fundraiser for missions. <clears throat> so I raised some pledges and I went on two rides before I went on the STP. Now, how old was I, Karen? Early 30s, I think, 31, something like that. And um, I went on a 30-mile ride and I went on a 70-mile ride. And, and those were like, you know, two weeks before. So I wasn't ready to go on the STP. And I called the guy who called me. I said, look, I didn't have time to train. I'm not going to do this. And he said, oh, come on. We have, and they called it a sag wagon. They go alongside us. Everything will be fine. And if you get tired, you just quit and get in the van. So just give it as much as you can. You've raised some pledges and we'll, we'll go. Let's do this. I said, okay. So I get there. I have no idea how big of an event this is. If I'm not mistaken, there were 8,000 people at the starting line. And we took off, and I'm telling you, it was so fun in the first 10 miles. The wind in your face, people everywhere, I felt good. And the adrenaline was flowing, and I tucked in behind. And, and then, they, you know, in our group, you have to go to the front, you know, like the geese. You know, you're the, you just change positions to the front because the wind resistance is hard on the first person. And we're doing this, and I feel pretty good for about 30 miles. And then, and then I start to hurt. Because we're moving faster than I'd ever move. These guys had trained. And I want to say, hey, can we slow down? Because I'm really tired. You know, but you don't say that to everybody else who's trained. So I start looking for the sag wagon. Within the first 30 miles, we lost the sag wagon. Never saw it again. All the way along, 50 miles, I'm looking for that thing. And I am hurting. I am exhausted at 50 miles. I looked for that thing for the next 50 miles and all, I mean, it was just one revolution after the other and I hurt. From 50 miles on, I hurt. But what was I gonna do? Stand and stop there and wave at everybody going by and I, I thought, well, I need to keep moving so they'll come by and see me. Some of the group went on and so I'm kind of lost in this sea of people and, and, and finally, we, the one guy just stayed with me because he felt sorry for me, I think, and finally, we, we, we reached the halfway point. And it, it was supposed to be an encouraging word, but when we got off our bikes, someone yelled out, we're halfway! I thought, halfway, crud, I'm dying right now. I can't go another half. When I got off that bike, I felt just like Gumby. I mean, it's like the, the joints were going both ways, forward and back, and holy cow. I mean, I've never felt so much jello in the legs before. And I got to a restaurant, and I sat down for about 30 minutes, and then I got up. And in those 30 minutes, I was transformed from Gumby to Frankenstein when I stood up. Because I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, now everything was so stiff, I couldn't move. And they're getting on the bike, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm like, I can't, I can't put it over there. It won't go anymore. I, I mean, I'm, I'm completely exhausted. And then, and then finally I get on, and someone's holding the bike up, and they just push it away. And, and God is my witness, this is what it felt like. This right knee, this, this is the first time I ever discovered ibuprofen. I mean, I, I hadn't known it existed before this ride, but I had to have lots of it that day. Uh, and when this leg, after 100 miles and I got back, when this right leg started going around, it felt like someone was taking a screwdriver and jabbing it in my leg every time I'd come around. Something was wrong. 
And I wanted to stop. And, I, and then I wanted to cry, but I thought I probably shouldn't cry in front of everyone, you know. And I just keep moving and keep moving. And, and the worst part of the trip is when we came um, at the 150 mile or, or 170 miles. I mean, I just kept moving. I never did find that wagon. But we came to the Longview Bridge as part of this. And it doesn't look like it's very far up the Longview Bridge. If you're just driving, you wouldn't even think about it. But I have clocked it. It is seven-tenths of a mile up an old steep bridge. And when, you're, when you've gone 160 or 170 miles and you're exhausted and you start up this thing, it, it's trouble. And I started with the high gears going as fast as I could and then coming down and just making the pedals go fast. And pretty soon, now, there's, there's no bike lane on this old bridge and cars are just vroom, vroom, vroom and you have about this much room. And I wanted to get off, but I thought the whole possum thing would happen, you know. And so I thought, I can't get off. And so now I'm, I'm barely, I'm standing up and I'm thinking I'm going to fall over. I'm, I'm going so slow. And, and I was so exhausted. And I got to the top. Now listen, I got 170 miles, completely exhausted with no training. And I'm literally trembling when I get to the top of this thing. And I have my hands up here. Now my bike, some bikes have brakes up here. Mine didn't. They were down here. And I was resting, and I went, started going down, and I picked up speed. God is my witness. I had a little speedometer, 48 miles an hour on my bike going down that thing. And I was shaking so bad. It doesn't seem believable, but it's absolutely true. I was shaking so bad and going so fast, and these cars were there. I could not, I couldn't feel the confidence to get my hand down to this brake to slow myself down. And I went, I went fishing recently in Astoria, and we took this route, and I, and, and I looked at the, the turnaround at the bottom of the hill. I couldn't get my hands to the brakes. It is the tightest little turnaround I've ever seen. And I, 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 this is probably as close as I ever came to dying. As I came around into that, I think the Lord just kept my bike up because he wanted me to be here today telling this story. But <laughs> I went into that thing so fast and I, I, I don't know how I stayed up and just zoom, we came through that. And I did cry when I got through it. I was like, oh my gosh, I almost died. What is going on? And, why did I do this? I hate the guy who asked me to do this. Every... And to make, to make everything worse, you know, 200 miles, the last 10 miles, I start getting excited. It's almost over. Got into Portland, got lost, went seven extra miles in Portland. <laughs> Here's what I would say about that. Don't do it unless you're ready. Get yourself ready for a long distance ride now. Now, here's what I would parallel that with. In this thing we call life, you have to train. You have to be in here or you won't be ready. These Horizon Journals, it's, we, we, it's just more than a, than a cute little idea we have. It is life and strength and power. As the Holy Spirit takes this word and drops it into you, you are strengthened. You are becoming prepared for the battle. And you can do it a little here and there, but the, the hard days are going to hit. I mean, life is a series of problems that need to be solved. And when they hit, we may not be ready if, we, if we're not here in this setting where we're hearing from the Lord, if we're not hearing the word, if we're not praying and talking to God, if we're not strengthened by the believers in small groups. These are all things that help us and prepare us for the battle. And you can see it in Philippians 3. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reach perfection, but I press on. Now listen to this, pressing in, pressing on, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, 
but I focus on this one thing. That's what we're calling this series, focus. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. The end of the race. I'm pressing on to receive the heavenly prize which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And then it says, in verse six, hardworking farmer. That's another analogy of planting and harvesting and that's all through the scriptures. That Paul talked about this farming terminology quite a bit. He said that farmers would be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. So why, why would you press in? Why would you train? Why would you go hard? Why would you be willing to suffer persecution? First of all, life's gonna be hard regardless. There are just gonna be hard things. Secondly, there's nothing better than a fulfilled life and, and a life that bears fruit. Coming to a point where you see other lives affected because of the love that you've given, the truth that you've shared. Here's the promise in Mark 10, 29. Here's why. Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return. Now that's, that's talking about this life. Another version says, in this life, a hundred times as many houses brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And here, here's the real clincher for me. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Focus. Focus. 